Um, if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and we're going to turn. We're going to start in Zechariah 7, starting in verse 1. If not, uh, hopefully they'll be on the screen. Zechariah 7.1. <clears throat> now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev, when the people sent Shurazer with Regum Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, say to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month during those 70 years, did you really fast for me, for me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? And I'd like to preach this morning from a title of a sermon that I call, Who Are You In This For? Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for being able to come to your house and worship you, Lord. Um, we ask, Lord, that during this time that hearts are open and and ears are open, and that you might spread yourself throughout the, this place, Lord. We know that you're here, and Lord, I just ask that, um, that you give me the words to say. Um, I'm your humble servant. I'm nothing special up here. Everything that we do and have as Christians should be given to you. You're a great God, and we only love you because you first loved us. And Lord, I just ask that you keep your hand on us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if we look back... We start back over in verse 3. So, and to ask, and oh, by the way, I started in verse 3 because I didn't want to go through all those names again in verses 1 and 2, just to let you know. So in verse 3, um, he had sent, there's a group of people, and they came to ask the priests who are in the house of the Lord of hosts, and the prophet saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? So, Here's the thing. The first thing that we can take from this, um, and I'm, I am going to say, today's going to be a lot of verses. And the verses that we go through are all in this one time period. There were a lot of prophets after the Jews had already been exiled. And Zechariah was just one of the many prophets. Um, Nehemiah, Haggai, um, Zephaniah, all of these guys are in the same time frame. So when you see um, the books and the... the um, scriptures that I jump to is primarily all of them saying the same thing in relatively the same time frame. There's a little bit of over, overlapping, and it is to drive a point home. So we're going to use the law of majority today um, when we preach, or when I preach, so that um, I can drive these points home as to where we are and where we're going. But should I weep in the fifth, and, and fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Right, so what we look at is who is this that is doing this? Well, obviously, Old Testament, we are talking about Jews. Well, at that time, Christ hasn't come yet, so there are no Christians. So these people here that we're talking to, as in so many cases, we're talking to Christians. Okay, So these people are churchgoers. They've done the things that they're supposed to do. Jesus fasted. It's something that we do as a church. And, um, and so these guys are churchgoers. 
As a matter of fact, either in the coming December or in January, the church, we hold an annual fast of 21 days where you can come in and you can fast and pray. And I'm not going to get way off track on that because pastor is going to, I'm sure, give a whole sermon beforehand of what we are trying to accomplish as a church for next year and talk about fasting and praying when we do it. So, but here's the thing. When we fast, and this is what we're looking at right here, and this is when I, the, the title of my sermon is, Who Are You Really In This For? So, when we fast, why are we fasting? Are we doing it just because it makes us feel good? Or are we doing it because when pastor says, I'm going to be up here 21 nights, who here can take a challenge? Who's going to be here with me? Well, probably not very many, but those of us that make it up here for the 21 days, um, are we doing it because we want to, because we're doing it for the Lord? Are we doing it for God? Are we coming up here and are we fasting? And are we doing this thing for God? Or are we doing this thing for ourselves? And this is the thing about Christianity, where it talks about in the parable of the sower and the seed that three out of four of us sitting in here are not really saved. And I'm going to touch on that in just a little bit. But what are we doing this for? What's the motive behind our fasting when we come? Is our motive for God or is our motive because, well, you know, I want pastors to see me here and, you know, I think I can break away and do that. I can take a challenge. So is it our motive? And when we come, what is our attitude when we come to our fasting? I mean, our attitude should be that for God. We should not be just coming and... Um, just coming to be here. And Jesus talks about it when the Pharisees, when he talks about fasting, that the Pharisees, when they came, is they would get, you know, they their, their faces would get all ashen, and they're like, oh, oh I'm fasting, I'm so weak because I haven't had any food for seven days. And, you know, I've had people on my work, I've had young men on my work that worked for me, and they were um, strong Christians, but I knew every single time that they fasted. And it wasn't because that I was an older Christian man. Um, it was because they wanted to let me know, oh, yeah, we're fasting. Yeah, we're fasting. Yeah, we're fasting. Yeah, we're fasting. Why? Why are we doing that? Why are you telling people that? The Bible says that you should comb your hair, wash your face, put on good clothes, and go to work. Because we're not doing this for other people. We're not doing this for recognition. We're doing it for God. So we have to know that our motive and our attitude are right when we do that, or we may be fooling ourselves that we're Christians. Over in Haggai, in verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So again, if we start back at three, um, go ahead and go to four. Is it time for you to, yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lay in ruins? So in this time period that we're talking about, so obviously we're talking about 
now we would be Christians. Then they were churchgoers. They were Jews. Um, so here's what's happening in this time period is the Jews have already been defeated. Jerusalem and Israel has fallen. It's no longer a country. And they have um, been exiled. But there is a movement to come back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple and later rebuild the city. And so what happens, there's about 7,000 Jews that come back to Jerusalem. And the first thing they do, is it time for you to sell, for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, okay? So the first thing that these guys did when they came back is they built their houses, right? Now, paneled houses, if you think about a house that back in this day, they would use a combination of rock and then they would mix like a type of mortar together. They made bricks back in Egypt. So, I mean, the, that, that technology was there. But if you ever looked at the inside of the house, there were wood pillars. Kind of if you watch, um, I know all you like, just, you know, men's men out there would never see it. But my wife loves the Hallmark Channel. So I watch Hallmark Channel a lot because that's what she wants to do. So as a good Christian husband, you should be feeding her and letting her, you know, I mean, she should... If she allows you to make all the decisions, men, she should get the better of it than you, okay? So I watch um, Hallmark Channel, and we will see one of these where it has um, an old English um, home, and inside the homes, there's wood pillars about every four feet or so, and in between the pillars is mortar. But they can take those wood pillars, and they can put panel along the inside of them. Very similar to two-by-four studs with sheetrock that we do today. So what is good for you know, 2000, or 800 years before Christ is the same as 2,000 years after Christ. We're still building our paneled houses. I mean, most of us have more than a one-bedroom house with one bathroom. Um, I know there's some people in condos out there that are small, but if you have any kind of a family, we're usually in a three- or a four-bedroom house. So... What, he's t what God is asking, and he said it through Haggai the prophet, is are we more concerned for your houses than we are rebuilding my temple? Okay? And again, we have to look, and God is, through these passages, he is bringing this. And we look at this, you know, 2,500 years later, and we're like, man, they were stupid back then. Because, like, look, it's all here. But they weren't, they weren't seeing it backwards. They were going through it at the time. And so... Um, you know, they were doing the things that, that made them feel good at the time. And they're like, well, we're kind of keeping the rules, and we're going to go work on the temple a little bit here and there, and we're, but we're going to build our paneled houses first. So God asked them to consider your ways. So you won't be blessed, and God will get his. So if we move forward, Mike... Now, therefore, says the Lord, consider your ways. Move to six. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Okay? So, here's the thing. God just said, consider your ways. We already know that these people are, quote, Christians, churchgoers, Jews, right? So... Here he's saying, he's not denying us from making a living, okay? But he's telling us to put it in priority of where your living goes, all right? So 
when it says you've sown much and bring in little, you eat, you don't have enough, you drink, you're still thirsty, you clothe yourself, no one is warm. Here's the bottom line between all that. God's going to get his. Okay? God's going to get his. And if you aren't taking it to him first fruits and you're not providing and you're thinking about yourself first, God's going to take it from you anyway. It may not be the money out of your pocket, but it may be the broke down truck or it might be um, your air conditioning just went out and you got to spend $3,200 that you didn't have. I mean, you don't know. You know, God is going to get his and he wants us to prioritize because God wants to be first. God is a jealous God. It's written throughout. The first commandment is written. God is a jealous God. I mean, he doesn't want anything else to be put before or ahead of him. So in this way, when these guys came back, um, earn wages, put them into a bag with holes. It's like sand going through you know, holes in your pockets. Your money is just going to flow. God is going to get his. And you have to look at how you're doing and you need to consider your ways. In Zephaniah 1, verse 12, it says, And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. When... God's talking about searching with hearts, um, searching with lamps. He's talking about your heart. God knows your heart. Is it still hot to anyone in here other than me, Scott? Thank you, thank you much. Um, now I know why Pastor keeps bumping it up and bumping it up. It's hot up here. Um, so <clears throat> God is going to come into your heart. He knows your heart. And I don't know how many of us understand that God knows our heart. Pastor talks about it all the time. He talks about the Santa song. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Well, that's God. It's not Santa. That's God. He knows what's going on. And, and how many times if we're doing something and we go down the wrong path or start to go down the wrong path or the thought comes in to go down the wrong path, um, do we not... Um, just like let that thing happen. We don't think about God being right there. Because if we thought about God being right there, if that was the first thought on our mind, if we, I don't know, if, if you get extra money back from McDonald's and you're thinking, well, I'll just take that $5, um, you've got to have the conviction inside of you to turn around and to take that back. Right? God knows he's going to seek inside and you've got to be sitting there because if you ever had that thought when you got the $5 back, if the first thought that went to your mind was, well, God's right here, um, yeah, I obviously can't keep that $5. So, I, right? Because here's the thing. If you did, guess what he's going to do? He's going to take it anyway because God's going to get his, Okay. In Malachi, verse 1, chapter 7, and I go through these things, and I've been, I, I read, and I'm looking at all these minor prophets, and all of these scriptures except one out of James I'm going to use come from the minor prophets that are, that are throughout the Old Testament. But it is amazing over and over and over the things that we do. And it says 
in Malachi. You offer defiled food on my altar. And you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the, Lord, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? So in my notes, I just have this big question of, are they stupid? I mean, really. When you give it to God and he is saying, um, you, he, he's not saying, he's telling you, you are offering defiled food on my altar. And you got the guts to go, what? How's that defiled? Knowing that you put a blind ram up there or one with defects, knowing that the law called for you to put your first fruits forward and your perfect sacrifice forward. And, but I don't know what we think. I don't, I don't know what, why we think that we're getting one over on God. Because he's there. He's inside us. As Christians, Jesus said that I will send one that will be within you. So we have the Holy Spirit is who he's talking about. We have, if we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit within us. So when he says, man, you're offering me defiled food on the altar, and you go, how's that defiled? I mean, that's like me at work. I mean, I've only put in like 4,000 fences, and if I go up to one of my guys and I go, dude, that post is just loosey-goosey. What, what's up with that? What do you mean loose? What do you mean what do I mean? Really? I mean, I can shake it back and forth like this. How, you know, it's like, I, I just, I don't understand. It, it's like saying, do you really think that I don't know that that post is loose. And do you think that I am that stupid and that I don't know that this post is that loose? Well, they're asking God this. They're asking God. They know. They put bad stuff on it. They put rotten meat on the, on the altar. They put something that wasn't perfect and something that wasn't first. And they're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I, you wanted an offer here. I gave an offering. Okay? But they weren't putting God first. They're in it for them so that they can say that they followed the rules and did the things that they were supposed to do, but they're not really doing the things they're supposed to do because they're more in it for them than they're in it for God. And then over in 13, it says, You also say, Oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen and the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Well, I mean, that is an obvious rhetorical question. Because these, and they're like, oh, I've got to write that tithe check out again today. Or... Oh, man, I've got to go move somebody. Alfred and I, man, they just gave me three days' notice. I just, what, they're just wearing on me, Lord. This, you're just asking so much. You're wearing, are you kidding me, right? They sneer at the Lord. They sneer at the Lord. They have contempt for when he holds their feet to the fire. When he just, I mean, he's got things that you're supposed to be doing. 
And if you aren't doing those things, I used to tell my kids all the time, it was so funny, my kids would get mad at something because I would lay something out like, hey, you need to do this by whatever, 4 o'clock. And 4.30 come around and then they wouldn't get to do what they wanted to go do and they would get mad at me, right? I mean, anybody got kids like that? All right, you will. He's going to be there in about 12 more years. So... That's right, back there too, about 12 more years. They're going to be like that. So, um, but here's the thing. (laughs) They are wearied from doing what's right because they're doing it for their own gain. They're doing it so that they can be seen, so they can be heard, because they've got some pride in them, because... Um, if, if someone asks me to move and I go, well, I'm the, I'm the head of the moving ministry and I will handle it all. So how can I go, you know, tell God, ah, man, I, I really just don't want to do that. What am I doing in effect by doing that? I'm doing it so that I can say, well, I'm the head of the moving ministry. I pulled the trailer. Uh, my truck's the only truck's pulled a trailer for the last 12 years. That's true, and that's factual, but if I'm doing it for not the right reasons, if I'm doing it so I can be the head of the movie ministry just so I can have a title inside the church, just so that I can be seen, so that I can check off one more thing for God when I get to heaven and go, look, I did this, I did this, I did this for you. If that's what I'm doing it for, I need to stop because my blessings aren't there. I'm not getting anything from God. Why am I serving him if I'm doing that? If you're going to be serving God, you need to be doing it with your heart. It should be for God. It should not be for you. In chapter 2, 17, it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? And that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, Where is the God of justice? So, you have wearied the Lord with your words. In what way have we wearied him? Well, all these things we've been talking about. God asks you to do right, and you say, well, I'm mostly right. Okay? I'm going to do most of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church, but it starts at 1030, so if I make it by 1115, I'll get most of the word. Some words better than no word. So I'm doing good. So if someone asks me if I made it to church, uh, they're going to say I made it to church, right? But if, um, if you really want to serve the Lord, then you would be here in time to come ahead of time, get some prayer time in, whether it's in the parking lot or in a pew. Um, you would have your tithes ready. You would come and prepare and sing and praise and worship. I mean, Jeff would love to have a full house. Man, I come here sometimes at 1030. There's three people out there sometimes at 1030. We keep stats on um, how many people come and what time they get here. And if they're after 1030, they're not after 1030. And it's so funny because we can have an event. And if our event, if it's like, hey, we're going to a basketball game, be here at 5 o'clock. Well, at 5 o'clock, you can count on most of the people at Abundant Life not being here because that's who we seem to be. Because at 10.30 Monday mornings, we typically have over 50% on a very regular basis that come in after 10.30. So we're doing these things that, um, that 
we say are right. And God's sitting there going, man, you've wearied me. And then we're like, how do do we weary him? Okay? It's like my son. When I ask him to get his room clean. And I ask him to get his room clean. Now, this is when he was younger, not now. He lives in a pig pen. That's okay. I, I did what I could do when, I was, when he was young. But when he was young, it'd be like, look, we're going, we're going to the movies tonight. I need you to clean your room. 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 And finally, I get in there and either help him, which I shouldn't have ever done because I spoiled him, or just made him. Do, but finally, we get done and we're out the door and we're pushing time. And it's just like, have, as parents, have you ever just gone like, oh, my gosh. This was supposed to be fun, but what a task. What pulling teeth just to get the kid out the room. Okay? And he's like, what? I cleaned my room? How'd I weary you? Okay? So we are wearying God by making him pull teeth. And he's given us the things that we're supposed to do. And if we have this in our heart and we have this conviction, then we will want to do the things that we are supposed to do. In James, it says that, I mean, without a doubt, without a doubt, and I shared this Wednesday night, James says that you absolutely cannot in any way, shape, or form be saved by your works. It is only by faith alone in the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can make it for salvation is faith. However, if you have this faith, then your works will be shown. And it's not the works of, and and that's the difference. And that's where God knows your heart. We might not. Everybody in here might think, man, Elder Jimmy's a good dude because he pulls that trailer for the last 12 years. In my heart, it's not. (laughs) But in my heart, it's... You know, I want to serve Lord. I want to help people that need to be helped. Um, But you don't know the difference, but God knows the difference. So you have to be serving. And I'll be honest with you. About four years ago, I got up one morning. I'm like, oh, my God, another one. Like three this month. I can't do anything I want to do. I want to go play softball. I can't go do that. And here I am aggravated that I'm having to help somebody move. And yet it's something that I offered to serve. So I did what Paul says to do. I questioned myself. And I, I'm, I told Nancy, I said, look, I need to either get right or step out. Because if I'm, if I'm doing this, moving, or if you're coming up here and doing food and clothing, or if you are on the usher team, or if you're on the praise and worship and you're doing this and inside you, you've got this, "Mm, I'm just, I'm going to do it because that's just one more thing off my Christianity list that I can check off. Then that's not the reason to be doing these things. Because here's the thing, when you get to heaven and you're chalking up the treasures that you've earned on earth, that's not going to be one of them. (laughs) You made that, I made that move in vain that day. I know right now today standing here that that move I made four years ago and was aggravated at, I can't chalk that one up. I didn't, I mean, that's, I don't get any blessing for that. 
Because I didn't do it with a joyful heart. I wasn't serving God. I was doing it just to keep my name at the forefront that I'm, in, I'm head of the moving ministry. And it was aggravating me. So God wants us to have a whole heart mentality and a whole servitude mentality as we move forward. And again, if you remember back when we were, when we were talking about at the beginning, when we were talking at Zechariah, at the very first is we we're talking about churchgoers. We're talking about people that have fasted for years and years and years. They did all the things they were supposed to do. The Jews back in their days, they had laws listed down, which we don't have today as Christians, but the Jews had laws listed down, and they could check them off. Cha-ching, 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 8 out of 10, 80%. I think that's passing. Well, that's not the way God works. And we can't have it where we are working for ourselves as a checklist, or when we get there, Jesus is going to look at us and say, never knew you. And that's where we come in this three out of four from the parable of the sower and seed that so many theologians say, that's why you've got 75% of Christians that sit in church are not saved. So with James saying that your work, um, that your uh, faith is going to produce works, here is what... You need to ask yourselves and me. So Paul said, examine yourself. Here's what you have to ask yourself. And that is, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Examine yourself inside. Because here's what you're going to have. You're either going to have, I want to serve God, and I'm happy to go do this, and this is what the Holy Ghost is convicting me of, and this is where I am. Or you're going to have the, man, another one, not really into it. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I, that way pastor will see me. And then how many people get to an event, pastor's not there, and they're like, man, I came out here. He wasn't even here. And I did all that for nothing. Are you doing it for pastor? Are you doing it for the guy that's running the, are you doing it for me because you showed up moving? No, we need to be doing this for the Lord. And then there's the third person that has the, um, man, I need to be doing it. I don't want to. Man, I got this thing gnawing in me. And I need to be going and doing this. And that is where the Holy Ghost is inside you and is convicting you. Because you have had a salvation. And you are truly saved. Once you're saved, you're truly saved. But if you, I mean, you can stray. Whichever man you feed is the one that's going to come forward prominent. So if you're feeding your old man and you start going off the wrong way and off the rails just a little bit, then, and, and that's where you go, then by doing these things with, for God is what's going to bring you back on the right track. That's the conviction that you're going to get on the inside that says, you know, you're going the wrong way. So you've got three groups of people that are doing this. But not all of them are doing it for the right reasons. There's only one. There's the one that's doing it for God, not for himself. You've got the one that's strayed a little bit and is convicted to do the right thing. And then you've got the people that just are like, I'm doing it just for show. Mom and Daddy wanted me to come. Or I've been in church my whole life. And this is how I'm going to do this. In that you say... Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. And this is what 
he's saying that the people are saying. So what's happening here is celebrities, people that you know that might be rich, sports people, um, you're giving them credit for being blessed. You know, so Julia Roberts, I don't know if she's making movies anymore, but she was back when I was younger. Julia Roberts, she's making $20 million a movie. Man, she's blessed. Oh, so-and-so got on that show. Man, he's blessed. Well, are they really blessed? Is it really a blessing from the Lord? And here's the problem. We put people that we can see. We, we put physical things that we can see up where God should be. If a, if a celebrity comes into your house... You take and put that celebrity up on the pedestal. And you get all goo-goo-ga-ga. You get mushy over them. You get, I mean, you get all excited that they're in their house. You're running and telling everybody. But guess what? God's in your house now if you're saved. Are you excited about him? Are you running around telling people? Guess what? Man, I got God in my house. Jesus shared. I felt him there when I was praying the other day. I felt him when I was having dinner. I felt him when I said my, my grace and... You know, thanking him for the food, I just felt him touch me on the back and go, that's okay, I got you covered, right? We're not telling people that God's here. We're not telling people that Jesus is here and beside us and with us. But if you ever, and it doesn't have to be anybody big. Um, I had a guy, and I can't remember the guy's name, um, Andrew, when he was about four or five years old, four years old. Um, we, as a terminal manager for Roadway Express, I used to get gifts given to me when I would take, um, you know, in exchange for freight, salespeople would bring me stuff, I'd take them stuff, we'd take people out to dinner, the way the business world works. And I got tickets for the East Coast Hockey League for the Louisiana Ice Gators, because I happened to be in Louisiana at the time, Valasevic, Chris Valasevic, right? And Andrew and I used to go, and I think I liked him because I knew I was going bald, and he was already bald. And, um, <clears throat> but this dude was, he was like their captain on their team, and he was really good. And so, um, you know, we, we would go to all these games, and after one of the games, um, I said something to him afterwards, and he recognized me enough to be into enough games that he actually went back in the locker room, got his hockey stick he had just used, signed it, and gave it to Andrew. Okay? That's cool. Well, guess what we did? I told, like, I don't know, 100 people. Guess what happened? Chris Valasevic. Does anybody here know Chris Valasevic? Does anybody even know what the East Coast Hockey League is? No. We ain't even talking about LeBron. I mean, if I said, hey, it, like LeBron just showed up at my house, like most everyone in here would be like, oh, dude, that is so cool. That is sweet. But I'm taking Chris Valasevic, bald white dude that nobody knows, and I'm like, guess what? I met Chris Valasevic. Who? No, no, no. He's the captain of the Louisiana Ice Skaters. Who? Yeah, no, they're in the East Coast Hockey League. What? Right? And I'm putting him up here. Am I putting God up there? And that's what we have to be asking ourselves. Are we in this for us or are we in this for God? So if we're in this for God, what should we do? In Hosea 14, starting at verse 9, it says, Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteousness walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So, who is wise? 
Well, how do we get wise? We, we study. How do we get wisdom? We study. Where are all the answers? They are in the Bible. And if we look in James 3.17, you will find that it says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Seven pillars of wisdom. If you guys read your Bible and you read your Proverbs daily, on the ninth, in Proverbs 9.1, you're going to find that they mention the seven pillars of wisdom. They don't tell you what the seven pillars of wisdom are, but they are these right here in James 3.17. So when you read Proverbs 9.1 and you wonder, okay, I'm going to get these seven pillars of wisdom. If you wonder what they are, these are the seven pillars of wisdom. The wisdom that above is first pure. The wisdom that comes from God is pure. There's no fault in it. It's not wrong. It doesn't lie. The wisdom that you get from God is the truth. It is pure. There's nothing false about it. The wisdom that you get from above is peaceable. So there's one verse in the Bible that I grab onto. And it says, be angry, yet not sin. And I go, be angry. That's okay. I got that one. <laughs> I struggle with the but not yet sin, but I got to be angry. Do I, Andrew? Yep. All right. So am I right or wrong? Is the Bible contradicting itself? It says, be angry, yet not sin, but it also says that it's peaceable. Well, here's the thing. You can be angry because Jesus was angry. Jesus went into his father's house, made a cat of nine tails, and whipped and beat and drove all the money changers and the people that were doing business in his house. He drove them out. He was angry. Jesus was angry at that point in time. Do you not think that God might be a tad bit angry because all of us, Throughout history, put his son on the cross? Don't you think God is angry at sin? So it's okay to be angry because you want to be angry. You can get angry over things that are wrong or that are repeated that are wrong. But here's the thing. You can't fly off the handle. I admit that's one of my problems. I've been praying for that for 20 years, and I've gotten better. For those of you that don't believe me, that have seen me get angry, I can tell you when I was 22 years old, I threw a cheeseburger across my kitchen because my wife didn't put the lettuce, tomato, onion, pickle, and ketchup and mustard on it in the right order. I, I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> I, I'm not what I used to be. That's being angry and sinning. All right? I caused her harm and pain, and she cried, and I had mustard stuck to my wall. But it's peaceable. The wisdom is peaceable. So when you have this wisdom in you, you should be able to calmly talk and make sense to people and make them understand in a peaceable manner. And I'm working there. 
I'm a work in progress, just like Pastor says. I hold on to that. Believe me. When he says that, I'm like, thank you, because I am too. <clears throat> Willing to yield. This is another one of my little problems. Willing to yield. Because when you're right like 95% of the time, it's hard to... <laughs> It's hard to admit the other 5% when you are wrong, right? So, but you have to be willing to yield. When you have wisdom, you have to recognize that someone else might have the answer. You know, if you, just because you've been doing something the same way forever, if someone comes up and has an idea, now, they might be wise in their own eyes, and it might not be the best thing, but that's where the wisdom that is imparted to you gives you the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong. Some things that are best for you are not best for somebody else. So, but if you are wrong, you have to, the wisdom is going to give you that discernment and you need to be willing to yield. You need to be full of mercy. Having wisdom is full of mercy. Um, do you think that I would have been that Nancy would not have been mad at me when she forgot to record the Cubs this year in the playoffs when I asked her to, all right? That was a big deal for me, but here's the thing. I could have come in, and probably when I was 22, I would have thrown the TV, but I could have come in and not had mercy. I could have come in and stomped and thrown things and what I how did you not I told you to record it how'd you not do that why didn't you do that well first of all is anything that I'm saying gonna make difference of what already happened no it's not is anything that I'd be saying there gonna get me in trouble yeah all of it so if you come in if, if you have the wisdom and you come in with mercy and you go I really wanted to watch that, but it's okay. I'll catch the highlights. Um, or, I'll, uh, you know, they got another game tomorrow. Or, it, you know what, don't worry about it. It's just a game. That's probably the hardest thing for me to say. <laughs> willing to That goes back to the willing to yield. It's just a game. Um, Stacy knows about that attitude. She ran some old dude over at home plate because it wasn't just a game. She, she had to win. <laughs> what, still? <laughs> How many years ago was that, Stacy? Ten, eight, nine, ten years ago. No, we give Stacy a hard time about that. That dude couldn't hardly get up and walk when she was done with him. <laughs> full of mercy. You have to be full of mercy. Mercy and good fruits. Without partiality. This was something I had a hard time, not, um, not for me personally at the time, but... It was when I worked for Roadway Express. This Fortune 500 company. They were the second largest trucking company in the United States. And we used to have to look at things when I was a manager. I was operations manager in Orlando, Florida. I had 168 employees underneath me, um, six supervisors, three sales reps, 150-something dock workers and drivers. And you have to be without partiality. And here's... That's a, that's a fine line to draw because you've got some people that will respond to one thing and some people that will respond to another. But the ultimate, the ultimate thing 
is to get the, you have to look at the actual um, performance and not what you're filled with of the partiality of, I don't like that guy, or he seems to be moving slow, so he bothers me. I know when I was in high school and I was playing football and I was a running back, I used to drive my coaches crazy because when I would run the ball, now I was wide open, full out, full bore, run over people, didn't matter. I mean, I just, like, I, I enjoyed hitting in football and I enjoyed running as fast as I can and hitting people. But after I got tackled, I'd get up. Man, I'd just, I'd walk back to the huddle like this. And the coaches just were like, Rich, you got to get back to the huddle. Rich, you got to get back to the huddle. Rich, you got to get back to the huddle. Well, I found out at the end of the year, I had played nine games with, um, what's the kissing? Mono. I played nine games with Mono, and I was just wore out tired. But when the ball snapped, I was like, I had all my energy was focused into doing it, but I was coming back slow. But here was the thing. I hurt myself because the coach, when he looked at it, he thought I was just loafing. So he made a decision ahead of time that I didn't have it, like I, I wasn't it. And so there were, back in the day, we had two halfbacks, there were two of us, and the other guy got the ball more and ended up going and getting a Division One scholarship. And yet my average was better, my yards per carry were better than him, but I only got about five carries a game because in practice I would slow walk back. But here's what you have to do. You have to look at the results. You can't look at the things in between. And that's where the partiality is very hard to discern. But that's what this wisdom gives you, is it gives you um, the ability to not have partiality when you have this wisdom. You have to impart on everybody equal, and you have to look at what everybody is doing equal and without hypocrisy. So as Christians, we have that down good. Right? That's why most, most people don't come to church because they already been to church and it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites because we always say one thing and do another. And just in what we're talking about right here is when we do these things, when we say the one thing and then do the other, do we have God next to us? Are we thinking about God or are we just thinking about ourselves? And so we do something that we want to do, which James tells you, you can't blame it all on the devil. Our sins come from our own lustful desires. So when we desire to do that thing that's wrong, do we know that God is right there with us in our heart, right there in the seat next to us? Do we know, like, man, he is watching and I can't be doing this? So these are the seven pillars of wisdom. And then in Proverbs 16.3, and I, Wednesday night, I said, if I, I wish I knew this because I referred to this. I said, if I knew the verse, I would have given it. But in 16.3, it says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Okay? So if you're paying attention today, you're gonna, you have heard me say that if you're not in it, you might as well stop. Now you're hearing me say, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established, okay? And what we've got here is that one group of people that I was talking about that has that, I'm not feeling it anymore. I was saved. I was here. I used to serve the Lord. And I'm not really, I'm not really all there. I, I, I don't really, I don't pray like I used to. Um, I just, I don't feel God show up when I pray, so why pray? Or I don't. I, 
you know, I was getting some, some good tithing stories back when I was tithing when I first started doing really good. And now I just, I don't have the tithing stories. So, you know, what if I skipped one? All right. Well, here's the, this is the people that this is talking about are saved Christians that think they might be down in the valley. Saved Christians that are a little bit low. Save Christians that don't have the same response that they thought they got before, that they felt before when they were praying. But here's what we do as Christians is we quit. And we, do, we give it up. I tried Christianity. It wasn't for me. Okay? So I'm not saying that you have to, that when you get saved and your Christianity goes like this and this and this and this, that it's going to keep going like this all the way to infinity. Because guess what? God says we're going to have tests and trials. Matter of fact, James 1, 2 says, Consider it, um, when, when trouble come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So if you got this all the way up, are you going to have troubles? No. The Bible says that you're going to have troubles. So you're going to be going down through these low times, and you're going to have these times when you don't think God's with me. You're going to have times when you think, man, the devil's attacking me. Where's God? Why isn't he showing up? Why isn't he here? I, I'm just, I'm not going, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm done. I read my Bible all those years. I'm done because God's not showing up in my life. This is where this verse comes in is commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And I had someone that I know that was near and dear to me that used to tell me, I, I, you know, I used to do this and this and this and this for God, but it just didn't there anymore. So I don't really. I pray when I think about it, but not into your word daily, not in this. And I read this to this person and shared it with them, and I'm like, look, you might not be feeling it, but you got to do it. You might not be feeling it, but you got to do it. And they started praying daily. They started reading their Bible daily. They started going to church more and more. And, and all of a sudden, after, I mean, a year, okay? Now, Old Testament, a year's nothing. 400 years? Maybe. You know, God puts a you know, curse of someone, and they may hang on to it for 300 years that they're, not getting, that they're not moving forward. But in our lives, we have so much need for instant gratification that this one year that this person stayed with it, for most people, 99%, and probably including me, would not even adhere to my own advice, but this person stayed with it, and now this person is a phenomenal prayer warrior, um, this person is in scripture, this person shares with their children, shares with co-workers, shares with others. I mean, this person, like, it, it, it is a visible thing that I saw go from, I know I'm saved, I'm just not doing these things, to them taking my advice of doing committing their works and they committed them to the Lord they didn't commit them to themselves and that's why I said if we're in this for God what should we do we commit these to God and he is going to take care of us in Malachi 3 1 it says behold I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure his day of coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. Okay? So, here's the thing. What if we all just did what I just said? What if we all committed our works to the Lord, and we're working in the Lord, and we're doing the right thing, and the Lord is blessing us, and you're like, 
I'm ready. Are we? Are you ready to say, I'm ready to go before God and stand there and be judged? Are we really ready? And it says, for he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. Okay? So the launderer's soap in that, back in that day was hysop. And that is one, it was a soap that you beat the clothes with. It wasn't just like washing your dishes with. It was a, a very stringent soap. And he's like a refiner's fire. So even if we're doing all of these things, can we stand before him? And the answer is, not really. Not without the blood of the Lamb. Not without the blood of Jesus Christ can we stand before God. Because Jesus Christ is going to step in and be our intercessor. David described his desire for a clean heart. In Psalm 51, he says, Behold, you desire the truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So this is what David understood to be true, is only God can wash us clean. Please don't waste your life going through the motions of being a Christian without being a Christian. Don't just do the things. Make sure that you know God personally. When you have a personal relationship, touched on this Wednesday night, when you have a relationship with someone, you talk back and forth. Jason and Alyssa talk to each other at home, I think. <laughs> Cedric and Sonia talk to each other at home, I think. Right? I mean, you can't have a relationship. You can't be married unless you have communication back and forth with each other. That means you speaking to them and them speaking to you. And that is where we come in when we do the things for God because the Bible, when we read the Bible, that is God talking to us. And when we pray, that is us talking back to God. That is our personal relationship. And we can't have our souls washed clean unless we have that personal relationship with God. In Nahum 1.7, it says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. And I just bring this one up to remind you that God knows your heart. He knows who trusts in him. So, a reminder, you can't be doing all of these things and then expect to get and have, you know, and then have Jesus say, I never knew you. And you're like, but... But God, man, I, I pre when pastor's back was hurt, I preached. Um, I didn't, I, I on purpose didn't sing in the choir because I'm horrible. And so that, that was a blessing. Um, if I just wanted to jack up the praise and worship team, I would have just gone and joined. Um, but I didn't, so that was a favor for you. And um, I'm in the moving ministry. And, you know, look at all these things that I did for you. And I've shared my faith, and, but I never knew you. Because you have to have that blood of Christ that washes you clean. And you have to have that personal relationship with Jesus. In Malachi 4, it says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Now, I, I might 
have chosen this verse because I don't like to diet, right? I don't like to diet. But have you guys been to the fair? Have you guys been to the 4-H portion of the fair where they got all the cows and they got all the pigs and the animals and everything? If you go down and look at those cows, there are no skinny cows in there. They are taken care of. So in this verse, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. With the righteousness in you, Miss Irene, you love that, don't you? When, I'm halfway there. But it's a symbol, not of growing fat, but it's a symbol of being taken care of by God and that he'll do everything that you need to do. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not going to do the things that you need if you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing. Because if just because you're ignorant doesn't mean he owes you something. But if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you might not have the best life. You might have a life that you wish you could trade. But I wouldn't trade. I've gone through horrible ups and downs in my life. And I wouldn't trade anything for where I'm at right now. And some of us have to be careful of wishing to trade for things for what we have. Because if we'll just place our faith in God and we'll faith place our relationship in God and just trust Him to do the things, then He will take care of our needs. Don't waste your time trying to live a righteous life if you don't have that personal relationship with God. Don't, don't try to show up every time that I move. Um, I mean, I'd love when I send those texts out. I love when I send that text out every other Friday morning. And I say, hey, we got food and clothing going on. Come down and help. I would love for 31 people to show up and it takes seven minutes. But if only three people show up, then I have no right to be angry at that. I have no right to be aggravated at that because God's got it in control. And he might need me here longer or he might need them somewhere else. I don't know what's going on in his mind because I can't. Only God knows where we're at and what we're doing. But we have to have that personal relationship with him to live righteously. So don't show up just because you think, and Elder Jimmy's kind of cool, um, I'll show up just so he notices me. Or I'm going to show up um, on fellowship night because I think pastor's going to be there and, and I want him to notice me. Those are none of the reasons that we should be doing what we're doing. We are not serving man at all. Don't waste your time if you don't have a personal relationship with God. Pastor counseled somebody one time and had a 19, 20-year-old son. And the parents still had control over that son. It's not me and you. The parents still had control over that son um, at 20 years old because he was living back in their house. And the kid was, um, was on drugs and alcohol and pornography. I mean, just like the worst of the worst. And the parents said, you can come back and live here and have a house, a roof over your head as long as you'll come to church with me. And so... He, he did. 
And then the parents are like, you're not going to be able to stay here unless you come to counseling with pastor. Okay? Because he didn't have anywhere else to go. So he was being drugged to church. That was part of his drug problem. He was being drugged to church. So when they went in and sat down and talked with pastor, and pastor talked to him by himself and then back to the parents, when he sat down with the parents, he says, you don't need to bring him to church. You need to let him drink. You need to let him smoke. You need to let him do drugs. You need to let him do whatever he wants to do. And they're flabbergasted. And they're like, what are you talking about? He said, because I had an in-depth conversation with him. And he has zero relationship with God. He wants no relationship with God. He blasphemes the name of God. He just, like, there, like nothing. Nothing. He has pure evil in his heart. And here's the thing. He might as well enjoy the time he's got here on earth because he's going to burn in hell for eternity. And those parents, I mean, it is what it is. They're not coming to church now. But the truth is the truth anyhow. If you do have a personal relationship with God, so many times we don't ask for a renewed relationship. We don't ask like David did to create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That needs to be our daily prayer. We need to talk to God every day, and we need to ask Him to forgive us of our sins, and we need to repent, and we need to get that steadfast spirit within us every day. So if you do have salvation, you need to continually ask to be cleansed by God and have a right spirit renewed within you. So if we do these things that I've talked about, and we do it for God and not for us, then our blessings will come. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.